Welcome to The Insight. This was the week several positive milestones were achieved in Hollywood. Disney Studios reported passing over the $1 billion mark in ticket sales for its movies in just the first six weeks of 2023. James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water has overtaken Mr. Cameron's Titanic as the third biggest box office hit of all time and now stands at $2.2 billion. Interestingly, more than half of those Way of the Water tickets have been 3D. And the Avatar sequel now sits just behind the original Avatar and Disney's Avengers Endgame in the record books. And on the awards front, the winners for Best Picture and various awards shows reflect a wide range of big and smaller films, from Top Gun Maverick to Elvis to All Quiet on the Western Front to Tar and Everything Everywhere All at Once. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good to hear you. Wim, we've had a three-day President's Weekend here in uh, the U.S., but it was heartening to see that Ant-Man, the latest uh, edition from uh, Marvel, had about a $121 million weekend. Worldwide, it's over $200 million, and the U.S. box office for the weekend was $164 million. Those are numbers that remind us of kind of the, the pre-pandemic area. Uh, what, what are your uh, colleagues around the world saying about the, the current state of the box office? Well, I think at the moment, uh, people are you know still looking at a couple of strong quarters, right? So I think the consecutive months, consecutive quarters of good box office income is really what people are looking for is what I can what I can hear around the world. I mean, January has been, you know, great for some and, and mixed for others, but but the looking up for what's coming for the year, uh, the outlook looks very strong. So I think that we're still in a recovery mode, to be honest. And I think everybody is still grinding a little bit of not enough attendance, but the content pipeline looks stunning uh, for this year. And that's that's generally what I hear, but I, we probably need a couple of months more and see how the, the next couple of movies are going to do. But we, we feel that we hear numbers like, you know, 20% less attendees kind of thing at the moment versus 2020-19. And so, so that, that number, and some is a little bit more, a little bit less, that number needs to come up. And I think with the titles coming, we got a good outlook to that, I believe. And Wim, as we move into 2023, all eyes are on the cinema operators and how they are upping their game to bring movie fans back into the into the theaters. Uh, and we've got the perfect guest for that today. Jim, our guest is one of the most respected innovators in the cinema business. Tim Leake is the founder and chairman of the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema Company. Founded in 1997, Tim brought many new approaches to the business, including serving dinner and drinks during the film presentations. The company based in Austin, Texas, Alamo Drafthouse have grown to 43 locations in 13 states. Welcome, Tim Leake. It's good to be here. Tim, the Entertainment Weekly has called Alamo Drafthouse the best theater in America. Can you tell us about your journey and how you feel about having earned that reputation? Well, uh, the journey really came, my only qualification was that I was a movie lover. I didn't really know anything about this business. Um, I studied mechanical engineering at school and took a job at, at Shell Oil right out of college and quickly realized that wasn't, that wasn't a profession that I wanted to retire from. But then the big moment for me is at, on my way to work, I pass by an abandoned movie theater every day and then one day there was a for lease sign 
And so I was 24 years old and had these, uh, these characteristics that I think are important, which is um, arrogance and stupidity that I thought, uh, <laughs> I thought, sure, I'll just go ahead and do this. So uh, a week later, literally a week later, after fumbling around uh, uh, my first business plan, I signed the lease and said, how, how hard could it be? So, and then oh, nice. it turns out it was actually kind of hard, but we figured it out eventually. <laughs> Tim, how would you assess the state of the cinema business when we move in 2023? And what are you hearing from the moviegoers today? So I'm actually fairly bullish. I, I, I'm always, I think I'm always smiling. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, you know, what is basically our core product of out of home experience, like ha creating something in cinema that's so magical that it's something worth spending your out of home dollars. And the reality is, yeah, I mean, there's probably going to be a certain amount of days that you spend inside because of compelling in-home entertainment. But every once in a while, you got to go to a restaurant. You want to get out of the house. You want to be with people. You want to have something experiential. And cinema is really well positioned. It's, a, it's an affordable night out. And when we're at our best, when we have great presentation, great sound, great picture, um, and great movies, we're unstoppable. And I'm quite happy with this year's slate. I mean, we'll see how it ends up, whether it's 80% of 2019 or something better. I'm not sure. But I think the industry, through the catastrophic downturn of COVID, we've all learned how to be more lean. And so, you know, 80% of 2019 is still a very profitable, very robust business for us. Tim, you're based in Austin. What would the typical movie fan who's used to uh, AMC or Regal or some of the other theaters that, that we've all experienced here in California, what will they notice about the experience at the Alamo Draft House that is different that you're really proud of? I mean, the first is, is visual. We like for you to come into the lobby and immediately say, oh, this, this feels a little bit different. Almost all of our locations have a fun themed bar that, you know, you can hang out, uh, have a drink before or after. One of my favorite things to do is be dazzled by a movie and then talk with my friends about it immediately. So that's in service of that idea. And, you know, a couple of the bigger ones are, you know, from day one. And I, in the early days, I actually didn't even want to know how much this revenue stream was. Uh, but we don't show any advertisements other than a handful of trailers that, that we curate before the film. So there's no advertising. And instead, we actually, my favorite position within the Alamo is... Um, run by a gentleman by the name of Laird Jimenez, who uh, uh, curates our pre-show. So if, if we're really leaning into a movie, we'll have 30, 45 minutes of content that's curated or even shot by us or created in service of getting you in the mood or a little backstory for, you know, previously on, you know, whatever was happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or interesting interviews or trivia about the, the directors sometimes get involved with. Um, we worked really closely with uh, Daniels, the director of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and had a really unique, crazy pre-show to, to match the movie. So those are a, a couple of the main things. And then we became famous for actually enforcing uh, our don't talk, don't text policy in the early days. Well, uh, we'd, we'd <laughs> love to jump in. You yeah. actually ran a commercial, and we have a little bit of audio for it, uh, but you've got a very strict which we love, movie fans love, no texting, no talking uh, policy. And you got apparently a, a, a complaint and you turned it into an advertisement. And so here is a disgruntled person who was removed from Alamo Drafthouse for texting during the movie. Let, let's play the audio. 
was not aware that I couldn't text in your theater, all right? I've texted in all the other theaters in Austin, and no one ever gave a f about what me I was doing my f***ing phone, all right? And it was on silent. It wasn't on loud. It wasn't bothering anybody. You guys, obviously, were being assholes to me, and I'm sure that's what you do, you know, to rip people off. You take my money, and then you throw me out. You know, I will never be coming back to your Alamo draft house or whatever. I'd rather go to a regular theater where people are actually polite. There we go. Tell us uh, <laughs> that is music to a movie fan's ears, right? <laughs> right. So you celebrate the fact that you, you have a low tolerance for that kind of behavior. Sure. Yeah. We, we got that on our answering machine message at our second location a long time ago. And I remember very distinctly the, the GM uh, sending me a note with a, cause we, we get our, our, our messages through, through MP3s, like through the computer. Right. So he just sent me the files. Like you will not believe this is really funny. And so, uh, first we called our lawyer. <laughs> so, and then, uh, cut it together on a whim and then posted it up online. And it's, uh, I, it's, I don't know. I think there's like 10, 10 million views on that particular thing. It's just a gift that keeps on coming. Alamo's idea about uh, having dinner at the movies. How does the dining experience define Alamo Drafthouse among other exhibitors? It's, it's certainly, it was, our, it was our first differentiator, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of dine-in cinemas now. There weren't so many. It was us and Studio Movie Grill, I think Arlington Cinema Drafthouse. Now it's much more common. Uh, but back then, it's, it's certainly in the Austin market, which was our first market, was, it was very different and required a lot of education for how it all works. And we figured out our own systems. Um, so it's a, it's a balance, right? Because it is what we're known for. It is the way to kind of compress date night out of the house into a smaller amount of time for dinner and a movie. And we have a lot of fun with uh, the food and beverage offering. So I, I think, honestly, we are at our best at Alamo when we can deliver you know, a themed meal to the movie, like uh, a recent movie, like the menu will have, you know, a, one night we'll work really hard to deliver uh, our interpretation of the food from the movie in a special five course feast. We can't do that every day, but when we execute it uh, at a high level, it's, it's a memory that our guests will keep forever. Is food and beverage a bigger part of your profit line than typical theaters, popcorn and, and, and Cokes? Yeah, it's honestly a totally different business, right? Because the, the profit margin on food and beverage is much, much better than, than movie tickets, but it's in service of the movie tickets. Like in Austin, you know, prior to the arrival of Topgolf, we were the number one and number two largest restaurants in the city. So it's, a, it's like a thousand seat restaurant that fills up and then two and a half hours later, there's another thousand people that need to be served within an hour. So it's a really high volume and so, you know, a, a traditional theater can get by with 10 to 20 teammates. And then we're at a big theater for us. That's a very busy one, like South Lamar or Brooklyn. You know, we have 180 employees. How do you stay relevant with your customers? How do you, how do you stay in touch with them? Uh, we certainly listen, right? So um, we make a point to listen not only to all of our all of our guests so like a lot of a lot of great suggestions people are engaged and if you know and if we misstep if we if we're not living up to what we commit to be people tell us and we take it seriously but then we also have a pretty strong relationship with our our 
staff and teammates at the venues and who give suggestions all the time. So I think just being the type of listener that really does listen and uh, takes action on both negative and positive feedback and being open to it all and, you know, acknowledging failure, acknowledging mistakes and having a desire to always be better. Uh, it's just part of, part of our core of who we are. Is there a group that has not come back that you want to entice our older movie fans back? Who, who is that group that you need back uh, into the theaters that you'd like to focus on? I think there's there's two, and and beyond the like demographic groups, there's also geographic groups. So some cities were came back really quickly, and um, San Francisco, notably for us, uh, came back more slowly. And I think there was something, you know, there was certainly a an, a bit of an exodus, honestly, from from San Francisco, and more of a work from home <laughs> mentality that came through the the tech sector there. But yeah, the I think there's there's two groups. It is it is certainly population that was more susceptible to serious health issues with COVID that got ingrained into being a lot more cautious around other human beings. But we're certainly seeing that group come back. It's just again delayed. And then I think <laughs> uh, interestingly, like there's almost like this strange COVID silver lining for some folks that just leaned into their inner recluse. Like a lot of people just realized, I, I love being at home. I like staying at home. And so I think we've maybe, uh, that's a shift that's harder, right? And it's not just the movie industry. It's every, it's every out of home experience. And that'll, that'll probably level out over time. And I'm not sure exactly what, what to do to, to get those people out other than uh, create super compelling entertainment. We want to remind everybody that the Insider Show is made possible through the generous support of Cineonic, providing future-ready technical solutions to theaters. With more than 100,000 projectors installed, Cineonic now illuminates more than half of the world's cinemas every day. Visit Cineonic.com. Tim, in many cinemas, the theater lobby experience in 2023 looks a little bit like many, many, many years ago, right? What is your vision our real cinema lobby should be looking at? When we first started building theaters, we had, you know, what everybody else did, a giant, you know, lobby. It was just basically a holding chamber for people uh, pre-reserved seating. So with the, with the, you know, takeover of reserved seating, which I love, um, we sell 75, 80% of our tickets online, right? So it's very little activity at the box office and there's very little need for a lobby. So in our, our guests, if you buy them online, you just go straight to the seat. So lately, we've built theaters with very, very, very small lobbies, or, and we take that real estate and we put it into the bar where, you know, it kind of is, sometimes it is the lobby is a bar you kind of walk through, or it's a little off, you know, from the box office. But I guess the ideal lobby in 2023 is as small as you can make it, <laughs> but still be comfortable. So you've turned the lobby space into bar and, and food and beverage, and it, it doesn't feel like a traditional movie lobby. Ideally, no. Yeah, ideally, right. you, you walk into a new space. Like um, we lean heavily into nostalgia and the retro spirit and vibe. We actually have, uh, I think, we're the largest chain of video stores in the world at this point. So we have five free free rental DVD and VHS video stores uh, wow. that also kind of like leans into the bar theme. So they're called Video Vortex. So it's kind of a '80s video vibe to the space and then but you can actually rent movies 
if you still have the capacity to play them at home. Tim, your team has been making uh, headlines uh, recently. You just opened a new theater in Arkansas, which will include a drive-in theater. You have 40 locations. Um, most of the other majors have thousands. And so the question we have is, each one of these has a unique DNA, uh, you indicate, for the local community. Can you grow the numbers of, um, of theaters at scale and maintain that, that brand integrity? We're certainly growing and expanding. You know, we've we've opened three theaters in the past uh, six months or so, and we have uh, several more in the pipeline. We want to keep that pipeline going. We just opened Chicago uh, about a month ago, and it's gone really well. So certainly looking for other opportunities in that metro. And in terms of how we continue at scale, I think it was it was hardest in the early days because the the transition from you know being one location, single screen, and then, and that was all second run movies. And then we got into the first run arena with unit number two with, with a four screen theater. So I think growing, building maybe the first eight theaters was understanding how to expand and where to expand, what to run centrally. You know, I'm, it's, it's funny because I, you know, as a human being, uh, when I travel or when I am part of a community, I really don't like chains. I don't, I don't go to them. I don't support them. And yet here I am, I've got a chain, right? So we're undeniably a chain, right? So, but we want to operate and be known as like a, a loose collection of community theaters. So we want to, you know, support local charities. We want to be a part of the community. We want to have a local voice. You know, we don't have a consolidated brand voice per se, like each, each market has, uh, creative folks that make a lot of the decisions there. Sometimes we march from head office, but I think it's more interesting when we can really operate as that community theater and you know offer our spaces to community groups that want to use uh, the things that we have. So it's challenging. It's not the easiest way to expand. It'd be, it'd be much easier to just rubber stamp, you know, theater after theater. But then, uh, what would I do? I wouldn't be a part of that. So <laughs> is, is, do they all have something in common? All your local brands, all your individual community spirits, do they have something in, in common? Yeah. I mean, we have a pretty great, like it's called a brand DNA book. And it's like, this is what we're all about. These are, these are the core principles. This is how we operate. This is the nature of our voice. And, and the key also is in those positions that are public facing is that you gotta be, you gotta be a movie lover. You gotta, you gotta, Eat it, live it, bleed it, breathe it all day long. Um, that's the that's the number one. You got to love what we're doing and and believe in the mission. And so that's that's the start. And if we if if you hit that mark, then the rest of it kind of falls into place. Last Friday uh, at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Advanced Imaging Society held its annual awards honoring filmmakers who use technology to make their jaw dropping, amazing films. And uh, Baz Luhrmann when he accepted the award for Elvis, talked about uh, streaming and technology. Uh, I'd love to play his, his comment and then ask you both for your reactions. Back in the 50s, when television exploded into the American culture, there was a lot of talk about people not going into the theater. But what happens a few years later with technological advances 
incredible lenses, CinemaScope, is it something like Ben-Hur smashes box office records, smashes Oscars, and completely reinvents the cinematic experience. No, cinema didn't go away. It just got bigger and better and more innovative. Wim, I'll start with you. How do we become bigger and better and more innovative? Huh. I think, you know, I hope we are the living proof of that kind of thing in the sense that trying to come up with technologies which are relevant for the industry and hopefully also make them affordable, right? Because the industry needs to be able to digest them, which is a big part of that because it has to go out in scale, not just for the happy few. But I think innovations like laser, you know, bright pictures, uh, you talked to him about, you know, getting a picture which is in focus, right? And the sound has to be immersive, right? What I mean by that, impactful. And, but it has to feel that you're sitting in, not in your living room anymore, but you're sitting somewhere which is, which is special. And so I think we need to make sure that technology serves to get better movies made or, or articulate them better or get the stories better off the screen. And I think that, that there's more to come. But, but if you do that hand in hand, I think, I think technology can definitely play a, a bigger role. Tim Baz talks about, you know, cinema didn't go away. It got bigger and better and more innovative. Do you resonate with that, his comment? By the way, when he grew up, his father ran a movie theater. Interesting. I didn't so know his earliest memories at age 10 were working in his dad's movie theater. So he, he had, you can hear it in his voice. He's got a passion for this and what you do. Uh, what are your thoughts? I both agree and disagree, right? I think there's a, there's a, the giant, big event movie, I think, yes, uh, all, all the way. And boy, I was, I was a fan of Elvis. I mean, it was such a gorgeous, rich movie. So to a certain extent, yes, I think that's important. Um, but, you know, I'm also, I'll tell you, nothing pisses me off more, actually, than when you see a movie that's, you know, the, that's a $200 million budget. And that by my accounting, they spent about $30 on the script, right? So, <laughs> so I'm sort of a, a old fashioned in a way that the, the, the absolute most important thing for me is an incredible story and nurturing amazing storytellers and seeing and having that emotion run through me. Like if, if, it's, if it's buoyed or augmented by technology or just a dazzling visuals, that's, that's a plus, that's, a, that's an additive. But to me, it, it's like it's it starts with incredible storytelling and finding those amazing voices. So I, I like that's where I'd like to see the studios focus is to just ensure that mark is hit every single time. And if you can still give me, you know, uh, a classic story without bells and whistles, I think that, you know, I'll be I'll be super happy as a moviegoer. So a little bit of both. The big question these days, Tim, is about how to get people back to the theater, right? Do you think that theaters can do more today to get people back? Uh, yeah, but I, honestly, the, the most important thing for getting people back are really the block and tackle moves, like the core elements of our businesses, you know, clean facility, friendly staff, you know, perfect, loud, but not too loud sound and bright uh, in focus image. Like you nail those and you have a, a friendly team, then you're you're most of the way there. Like that immersion of both picture clarity and sound quality. It's, if you're not, if you're not really paying attention to it, it's just one of those, if you don't hit the mark, then you're like, oh, that movie was just okay. Or it was fine. But if it, if it maybe were punched up a bit and the audio was right and the picture was right, then you, you'd be 
possibly in tears or like have goosebumps, right? It's, it's that, those technical aspects are critical, but really it's the personality and the, the fun touches. And, you know, we've, we've always been interested in eventizing movies, you know, like having uh, special activities for kids, for kids movies, having, you know, uh, surprise and delight moments for, especially on opening weekend, uh, having live hosts introduce movies and make people feel welcome and friendly. And, you know, these are all, a lot of them are very old fashioned to the cinema industry. You know, back in the, the glory days of the 1930s and 1940s, there was a ton of amazing local promotion. And, you know, I think leaning more into that, into the roots of cinema of those days, uh, something we've always tried to do, and I think um, it would be great for everybody to do. What do you think about the price of movies, number one? And number two, what do you think of this AMC announcement that they are going to charge a premium depending on where you want to sit in the in the theater? I'm, I've always been a little bit nervous about uh, pricing ourselves out. So it's it's really important that a movie stay an affordable indulgence, you know? I. I can understand if you're if you have a Dolby Vision auditorium and you've spent a ton of money and you, you offer world class and I think that is worth an upcharge, but I think we just need to be careful to not price ourselves out. I'm I'm sort of the the anchor on that idea is like to let's just let's not let's not go too far and be keenly aware of you know customer sentiments. I I like that most theaters, including ourselves, have kind of a discount day on Tuesdays. So that's kind of become the, the language of our industry. In terms of the, the uh, AMC idea, I'm, I'm curious, curious to see where it goes. You know, we're, we're, I'm, I like experimentation. So I don't mind that um, Adam Aaron is, is, is going and, and trying this out. It concerns me just a little bit because it's, you know, I, I think the feedback hasn't been great. And I think that you know, I do think it's an experiment and he'll listen to feedback. And if it, if it works great, if it doesn't, he'll, he'll pull back on it. But, um, it's not any, it's not a direction that we're pursuing at, at Alamo. Are there a couple of movies that you're looking forward to personally in the year ahead? Yeah, for sure. I mean, coming up pretty soon, there's uh, Bo is afraid. It's a A24 release. It's Ari Aster who did, um, hereditary and midsummer. So fantastic filmmaker, just seems to be like getting, honing his craft with every film. And I, like, I can't stop watching that trailer. It's one of those beautiful trailers where I actually have no idea where this movie's going to go and it excites me. So it doesn't spoil it. And then there's a pretty fun movie that debuted at Sundance called uh, Talk to Me, which is, uh, it's interesting because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty straightforward in a way horror movie, but it's got really great character development and... It's done by these two uh, brothers, young brothers uh, from Australia that have an astronomically huge YouTube channel. And I see them as like this next iteration of folks that couldn't stop making short films and just like obsessively did it and became really, really, really good at it on YouTube. And now this is their time to shine at a totally different format uh, with a theatrical length feature, which is very different from their YouTube content. Uh, so I'm excited to see them and, and where they where they go with the rest of their career. Well, our industry is is well suited having you in it, Dan. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for Alamo Draft House and the innovations that you're bringing to our industry. Wim and I will be right back.
Wim, I have not been in an Alamo draft house because I'm not in the geographic region where Tim's theaters are, but I sure will put it on my list of must do's because it sounds to me like he's really addressed a lot of the issues that you've brought up over the last couple of years about what cinema operators need to be doing. Oh, absolutely, Jim. I mean, uh, I do have been to to uh, Alamo Draft Houses a few times, and I think it, it's always been an enjoyment. But what I liked about Tim's comments on our podcast here was that you know he talked very much about the basics, right? He talked about you know the showmanship. He talked about getting the basics right, which is a fundamental thing of of the movie business. And knowing that he's an innovator and trying so many different things, it's interesting to hear him saying that you know get the basics right. And then you have the chance to do the specials on top, right? And I think that's something to remember. Uh, that really resonated with me. You have long said on this program that the theater lobby is something that is, in most theaters, a model based on what it was like 100 years ago. Uh, it sounds as if he's really reinvented it. What's your impression when you walk into the lobby of the, of the theater? And what does it do that gives you uh, encouragement about the future of the exhibition business? I think it, it's interesting talking about the lobby because many people have a huge lobby and then try to do something with it. What he has done, he has eliminated that, right? You come into the bar area, you come into, it's almost like coming to the cafe and kind of thing. And it feels already like at home or it feels much more cozy than coming into a, a huge cold uh, lobby, which very often is the case. And even if you put a ton of displays there, it still feels, you know, a big place, right? So he makes it much more cozy. So that that's really my impression. And then you already start thinking about consuming things in a much more easygoing way uh, versus that that you get, you know, being on a long counter there. So, so I felt that being part of the experience, to be honest, that I did not have to go to a big lobby and that I was getting through that right away and, and could get my beer if I wanted that in two minutes kind of thing. And then getting to a very different look and feel. And I think that, of course, if you start from scratch and you're building a new one, that's definitely what you can do. Of course, you have a big lobby, you're going to have to rethink that. But but I think it's part of his concept. So I, I, I think he does well for his, I, I guess, for his audiences. Yeah. Your point is his experience begins when you walk across Absolutely, the threshold yeah. and, Absolutely. and through the door. And and he's taking the big empty spaces that we think of as theater lobbies and reimagining them as connecting with the consumer with an experience that starts right there. That's that's. Yeah, and, and I did not have the feeling that I was standing in a long line, right? Had to queue up for one thing or the other thing or, you know, and, and all that is also part of the experience, right? If you can avoid having that and people can feel at home and get to where they want to consume something, but don't feel they have to stand long in line. That, that's also plus, I believe, of a good experience. Fantastic. Our quote of the day comes from Steven Spielberg. He and Tom Cruise were both at the Academy Awards nominee luncheon in Hollywood recently, and Spielberg told Cruise that Top Gun pretty much saved Hollywood when it kept audiences coming to theaters through the post-pandemic year of 2022. You saved Hollywood, seriously, Spielberg told Cruise. Maverick might have saved the entire theatrical industry last year. Just when Hollywood needed a hero, Tom Cruise came to the rescue again. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Wim. And thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.